today's guest, one of the most empathetic leaders I've ever met, Romy von Röder. You still have to define what does empathy uh, mean for us as an organization, what does entrepreneurial mean for us as an organization, uh, what are the required competencies for that, and then you translate it, for example, into interview questions in the interview process, and then you can ask ideally behavioral questions uh, to figure out if the person is capable of basically working uh, in that way. And that would be an indicator of, like from a cultural perspective, would you, would you hire that person? Romy is from Germany and started her career in the corporate world and at some point moved into the startup field. This is also where we met. In 2021, working at Tier through their hypergrowth phase when she had to ramp up her people team from around 30 people to more than 80 to facilitate the growth of the organization that scaled, I think, within three years from three founders back then to more than 2,000 or even more employees across 20 plus countries. Many companies talk about their culture and how unique it is, but I never saw something that specific in terms of a cultural model what Romy and her team created at Tier. This is what we also will talk about and dive into in more depth. Romy is also a consultant in the people space and is investing in the HR tech field. So if you want to have a chat with her, I'm happy to introduce you. But now let's directly dive into it. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Okay, Romy, how did you get into HR? Yeah, well, um, I by now have spent almost uh, two decades in, in people functions uh, across early stage startups, scale-ups and grown-ups. And uh, I started my career uh, in a traditional corporate um, where I, through also internships, um, learned the basics of uh, great strategic uh, people area work Uh, focused, for example, on uh, competency planning, leadership development, um, management planning, diversity and organizational development. Yeah. Wow. So this was the time at Vattenfall back then. Exactly. Exactly. And what was the biggest challenge back then? I think it was 2000, 2006, 2008. Yeah, around that time. Like for a very quite a long time, I um, I worked for Vattenfall. And. 2008 there was a situation like now going through a crisis um, did you already see some patterns back then and now what you can compare from a people perspective or an organizational perspective yeah i mean we 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 didn't get hit by the by the crisis uh, per se um, by then, energy companies were a super solid uh, business, uh, it, obviously in, in the coal and mining uh, business. And uh, we, we, just, we just kept on working and uh, looked at what is happening around us. Uh, obviously, you see what is happening economically, but it, it, but it doesn't really um, hurt you in, in that situation. Today, it's, it's very different, uh, obviously, as we know. Because of the war, you think? Through climate change, through war, through... I mean, climate, climate change has been there before, but now um, everyone realizes that uh, it's important uh, to do something extremely uh, fast uh, and change our behaviors uh, towards uh, the environment and how we handle things. Yeah. At and that time, I remember that I that I um, I asked like, are we investing in solar uh, energy uh, as a company? Because I thought it's uh, quite important uh, to look into new technology, and uh, it has been said uh, no, 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 it doesn't doesn't bring enough um, value to the organization. Then at your time at Vattenfall, you spent six years, almost six years there. First in HR development and change in project management. And at the end, organizational development and diversity. What are the differences of these roles? I mean, uh, first of all, I started uh, I started earlier um, at Vattenfall as an assistant. 
And uh, through that role, I got uh, the opportunity, which I'm very thankful for, uh, to, to dive into, into HR work early on uh, and then decided uh, that this is what I want to do. Um, and then, I mean, basically all of it was uh, kind of kind of strategic work because I worked for the uh, for the corporate center. Uh, but from a, from a simple topic perspective, uh, it was it was very different as a diversity uh, management responsible. You, you don't have a large team. You basically uh, work on, on concepts and uh, try to create a change uh, in the organization. When I was responsible for um, people development work, creating leadership programs, for example, I worked much more with the organization and I basically went with people to those leadership programs and carried them out uh, physically, um, yeah, myself. And Vattenfall is a Swedish company, isn't it? Vattenfall is originally a Swedish company uh, that acquired four former companies uh, in Germany. So four former companies have been um, put together uh, as one and then Vattenfall acquired it. Today did it also looks very different, but yeah. And did you also see a difference from the Swedish culture um, to a German culture in terms of leadership and how, how you operated in HR? A hundred percent. Not so much how we operated in HR, but how how you treat people uh, and for example how advanced work-life balance uh, was uh, that was uh, absolutely significant um, i remember uh, one thing where a female board member uh, got up uh, in the board meeting and said uh, bye guys i have to leave now uh, i have an appointment uh, and and i think it was a hairdresser appointment even so it's very, very normal there uh, to leave at four, uh, go home, take care of your kids, and then you start working again later on, uh, which, especially at that time, was indiscussable uh, in, in Germany. Yes, and also still sometimes. Also, also still, yeah, and absolutely. Did true. you see a positive or negative impact on performance? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. No, I mean, I, I didn't measure it myself uh, properly. I mean, I was in, in a specialist uh, position. Um, I can tell you what I believe. I believe that uh, it, it shouldn't matter um, when and where you work. Uh, some people work better in the morning. Some people work better in the evening or at night. I mean, you know, it, great developers. Uh, they sometimes love to code uh, through <laughs> all night, um, and uh, it, it just it just shouldn't matter, right? The outcome is important. Yes, definitely, definitely agree. And then you moved to Wire, which is a quite small company compared to Vattenfall. What what brought you there? Exactly. I mean, f first of all, it, it, it scared the hell out of me to make that move because Vattenfall was a very uh, solid, safe uh, organization at that time, and uh, I could have probably stayed there until I retire. Uh, but then um, I met a friend, and he said, "We are looking for someone in HR. Just founded a very secret company, stealth mode." Um, and uh, he explained it a little, little bit to me. And um, I, I was not interested in the beginning, but then I said, ah, "Let me let me come and have a look." And uh, then. I saw the office, the cool people, and it was a very, very different uh, vibe that I that I felt there. And uh, then I spoke to my husband. I said, "I'm I'm afraid to do it. Uh, like, what if it? What if I'm not capable to do it? Uh, especially with lots of English and stuff. I spoke English before, but not that good. My new uh, CEO was American, um, and and he said, "You know what?" If you fail, you get up and then we move on and I will be here for you uh, and just just do it. It's a fantastic opportunity. And then I jumped. And what was the difference from Vattenfall to a, I don't know, 100 people company or how, how big was it back then? I mean, at that time when I joined, there were 20. Wow. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Exactly. And everything was different. Um, from recruiting me, which was like uh, friends are talking 
uh, to my onboarding. My first day was like I came into the office and then I was standing there and <laughs> people came by, but, but they, I mean, they took notice of me and said hello, but no one felt responsible for me until like someone said ah you are here come on i show you around and stuff and uh, and then my laptop i got at some point on the way <laughs> and then <clears throat> no one told me what to do anymore there were no roles um, structures there were no structures procedures processes yet and i basically had to build it up myself yeah that was uh, super new for me how did you start because 20 people maybe also not a strategy in place um how, how did you start yeah i mean you you talk to people and you try to understand what the status quo is and then uh, you start prioritizing uh, what are the most important things uh, that we have to do right now and uh, obviously in a growing company of that stage uh, recruiting is important so that's the one thing that I started taking care of and uh, started developing a process around. And then what comes after is onboarding, for example. Uh, so you you start building that out. And uh, then I hired a few people and then um, yeah, we served the organization together. Yeah, and so it grew. And that was 2013-16 in Berlin and the market also for engineers because I think it was an software development company exactly it yeah. was qu quite hard wasn't it back then to already find engineers because everybody yeah. looked. yeah absolutely true um we we mainly hire people through the network <clears throat> so the uh, founders and investors uh, came from uh former skype or not former skype they came from skype mm -hmm. um and they had quite a big network excellent developers around the world uh, so we acquired them basically to and join and back the then did you already work remotely or all in berlin if you worked remotely when possible freelancing for the organization and uh, some worked in berlin but i mean you could see that the startup was way more flexible with uh, like the models of uh, how people work for the organization than uh, the corporate and did you have funding back then yes yeah yeah we had we had big funding okay to, uh, it also helps i guess then right with pr and so on absolutely absolutely cool and then you moved to casper and then i moved to casper exactly and uh, i so basically i what i learned at wire i wanted to do again and see like uh, now i know how it works so let me let me do it again and let me do it uh, even better what was the company um growth stage so you started at 20 and left at how many employees we were around about 80 80 and in one market or several markets i mean like it, it was basically a global product there was no everything was in english so whoever in the world wanted to use it uh, could use it what was the product It was a messaging uh, service. Ah, messaging okay, understood. App. Still existing. Cool. Okay, and then Casper, when did you join and when did you leave? Because you stayed there for almost two years. I um, joined. So Casper, for first of all, was an American company, and they started their uh, business in in Europe, and I was one of the first people to join the team in Europe. Oh. So I was number three on the team, and when I left. I think we were just around about 50 people uh, at Casper when, when I left the organization. Wow. And launching a company across Europe or in Europe, um, how was the challenge different to what you saw previously at Wire? I mean, Wire was a pure software development organization and Casper uh, was an e-commerce uh, company. So we, for example, mm, we needed to step much more into the requirements of certain markets. Uh, so how do French people buy mattresses um, or like how do how does French PR work? Yeah, you have to. You have to be much more local 
and uh, uh, to basically sell your products uh, for the messaging app. It was just not uh, not very important. Hiring in France can be a mess, right? It's it's super tricky. <laughs> yeah, it can be. I mean, we still try to do a lot uh, through through a network, and we also hired French speaking people uh, on site in, in Berlin. I mean, the good thing about Berlin is that you um, find a lot of international people uh, in, in the city. And uh, yeah, a lot of them also in the creative scene. So when we looked for copywriters and stuff, that was not our biggest uh, issue here. And what do you think was the key attribute that made Casper successful? The key attribute was probably first of all the culture because from that culture what they believed in they derived their values and uh, one big topic was customer centricity so how they ha handled that topic uh, was very different from what i've seen before and what i what i see today what exactly was the difference they first of all for their customer service hired very well educated people uh, coming straight uh, from university who are able to artic articulate themselves very well who understand uh, economics who understand uh, customers what they need in today's world and They had the freedom to serve customers in a, in a way that when they were unsatisfied, they could basically offer something very generous to them and um, to basically turn around a customer that was unsatisfied before and, and make, them, make them happy again. And we also made it visible in in the office they were basically sitting in the center of of the office because they were our most important team because they were the face uh, to the customer mm -hmm. and uh, we in berlin for example at the beginning um, we once one of our colleagues uh, drove to munich to uh, bring a mattress uh, to a customer i know it's not scalable Uh, but in the beginning, uh, you do that uh, just uh, to make sure that the customer has the mattress in time. Interesting. Yeah, happy. Scrappy. <laughs> yeah. So and was it also connected to um, product development or did, did you buy the mattresses or did you develop them by yourself? So how was it connected with the other functions of the organization? So we got, we got mattresses developed. We had a product uh, development uh, in the organization in San Francisco. And there they basically uh, made the design and, and how it's basically built. And then um, we transferred the design and uh, had a production site here that was doing it for us. All in-house? or That was it? not in-house here. That was an uh, external production site that was, was producing for us. Interesting. So the, the asset was really the customer relationship and also the design and brand Casper um, had. Exactly. Casper was also a, a Harvard Business uh, School uh, case study for their uh, marketing. So they also did an excellent job uh, on that side. Uh, were extremely creative and um, yeah, just, just did a really good job there. Also in performance marketing. I remember back then on Facebook, exactly. I always saw a Casper mat mattress. Um, yeah. If I, I, yeah, if, if I, I mean, if I would need to hire someone for performance marketing, I would probably go back uh, to those uh, people. Amazing, amazing uh, team there. And what, what was the ad spend? Do you know? I don't know. No. Okay. I don't know. Okay, interesting. And then you also founded your own company in parallel with um, your sister. Oh, yeah. I, I usually forget to, to mention <laughs> that, uh, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that was also an e-commerce e company which uh, yeah i think we started when i was still working at buttonfly i was a little bit bored um, by i mean the job was always uh, there was always a lot to do um, but uh, i need some i needed something different for my brain uh, so we we started this um, ipad iphone case uh, company 
and uh, that helped me later on when working in e-commerce companies uh, or at Applift, which was a performance uh, uh, marketing company. Um, it, it helped me to understand what people were talking about, uh, talking about as SEO or SEM and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. And so you, you founded um, an e-commerce business back then and Did you do everything by yourself with your sister or did you also hire um, people or was it really you and her? I mean, we had someone for performance marketing uh, who helped us, who coached us a little bit, uh, but everything else we did uh, ourselves. I ah, know we had uh, tailors actually who uh, helped us with uh, preparing the cases. Wow. So you market. went the opposite direction from big corporate down to founding a, a small business yeah. and in between going into startups. Very interesting. Um, would you do it again that way? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's. Uh, I think it's it's a great opportunity to learn uh, structures and processes first, uh, and then uh, go into the more open uh, world and apply what you learned, but in a different way, and uh, try to try to balance things out, right? Yes, and then uplift came. What was the biggest challenge um, at Applift you faced in your role? I mean, definitely, I think there were two bigger challenges. There was one where in the beginning I looked at the status quo and they had developed a certain culture, but there were some improvements uh, to make in terms of the values were put on the wall but they were not people didn't didn't really live it uh, to the full extent so we reworked um, that whole uh, system so that was one uh, bigger change challenge and then definitely towards uh, the end of my time at, at Applift uh, we um, did a restructuring and uh, we also laid off Uh, people and uh, if, like if I would say need to say what's the worst thing of my job that I I obviously do if I have to but uh, it's definitely laying people off yeah I rather grow and hire people <laughs> yeah I, I understand that and how was the process back then of laying off people when not everybody else was doing it it's necessary right uh, it's being being a great company and being a great hr leader uh, doesn't mean that you don't take tough business decisions um it's the important thing about that is how you handle it be very respectful try to be well prepared for communications support people to the most extent you can um Yeah, I think that's that's key factors to to make sure uh, to get, that you get through it. And did you talk to everybody one on one? We did not not me personally, but uh, for me, the most important uh, people multiplicators in an organization are the the managers or the leaders, uh, and we gave them the task with a very uh, clear. Uh, communication path uh, to to do that um, and it, it probably also makes more sense right I, I'm not uh, as close to everyone and uh, it makes sense that they take their responsibility and guide people through it and was it then one-on-one -on -one conversations between the manager and the one to be laid off you usually have an have an HR person and the manager um, sitting side by side i mean you you also have communications prepared uh, for them and you create a future picture for the organization on on how we are going to move on uh in the future and that basically this was necessary to re regain a successful uh, business actually wow yeah and then some a really exciting journey started at tier mobility when you started in 2019. Um, could you describe a bit more the journey of the organization while you were there and how your role developed? Because I remember it was a real hyper growth case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, when I joined, we were like 200 something 
and uh, when I left we were like all in all around between 1500 and 2000 uh, people something like that um, but uh, we obviously had had a lot of people working uh, on the ground uh, fixing uh, the scooters so the people that were closest to the to the customer um, very important people but but that was the the biggest uh, number of people in the organization and uh, it was it was quite a journey and um, I'm extremely thankful for that time I learned so many things in such a short period of time I think that's a, that's a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity the interesting thing was compared to the other businesses that you never had this gig workers you always had the people out there on the street maintaining and launching the scooters in cities really employed right when working uh, with external partners um, the quality was uh, was very different uh, internal teams um, looked out for much much higher quality and also uh, efficiency yeah, they just they just did a better job what was the different the difference of the organization within tier for the corporate structure and for the let's call it operational or regional structure i mean in, in the beginning you probably didn't see it as much there was just a crowd of people uh, trying to establish this business uh, on the ground and everyone was doing everything uh, but the more we grew the more uh, it basically turned out that you have uh, different very different functions with very different uh, requirements in in the organization and in and how many countries in 15 to 20 countries depending on which time we are talking about in that short period of time what were the challenges in ramping this up all these processes did everything run smoothly i cannot imagine i mean the thing is when you grow in one country you you basically have one administration uh, one uh, legislation and stuff but as soon as you uh, grow internationally um, you multiply that uh, every time and that creates lots of complexity right you have to understand uh, the british system the french system swedish <laughs> norway is different from sweden uh, you wouldn't believe it but yes um, and uh, that was with a very small amount of people then uh, sitting in corporate uh, that was uh, quite a challenge um, to take care of uh, not not blowing up the team uh, like crazy and how did your team um, evolve over time we were 20 people in the beginning roundabout and then when we were like 200 something people and then i mean my team grew to uh, to 80 but uh, also the the responsibility um, of the people and organization team uh, grew so in the end we were responsible for health and safety and internal workplace IT and uh, workplace management facility services and, and stuff so um, I think that's always important when you talk about people teams like w what size do they have you have to understand like first of all what's the What's the scope uh, that they are taking that makes a big difference? And then at what stage are you, right? If you if you are growing a lot as an organization, you probably have uh, quite a big uh, recruiting team. And uh, if not, maybe the focus is, is somewhere else. Yeah. And the 20 people, how were they structured in the beginning? Was it just recruiting due to the crazy growth? No, I mean, we we definitely also had workplace people by then that belonged uh, to the team. There was a lot of uh, recruiting, but we also had uh, HR specialists who basically people had to write contracts and uh, set people up for onboarding and, and stuff like that. We had we had a, a people experience manager who was responsible for onboarding people and uh, creating them a very nice experience when they joined and stuff. Yeah, so we had a little bit of, of everything along uh, the employee journey, basically. But we didn't, didn't have specialists on people development or internal communications, for example, or people strategy, 
people project management and stuff which we had later on when we uh, had to professionalize more and more yeah. i remember we met some when when the organization was at around i think six to eight hundred people and then also ramping up your team to the 80 people yeah. in the organization i remember challenging time and super yeah. interesting you were quite an influencer on that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was fun time what was standing out for me was really the culture um you created a persona an entrepreneur with empathy yeah could you dive into that topic a bit because for me this this was something so clear i've never seen before and still is very very well remembered in my mind that this type of cultural persona is usually more than 90 percent what a scale up in an or a company that is expanding rapidly this is what a, a company needs from a persona and i i really think that's a good model could you maybe explain it a bit yeah so i mean we we didn't think about it uh, in general but uh, we as an executive team basically uh, thought about what what do we require as an organization um, from from the outside and also from the inside uh, to be put on the table to be successful and we derived that basically from from our values so we created uh, four values for the organization and then we basically thought about how to put that into practice and i i can't take the uh, credit uh, for myself so it was really really a fantastic uh, teamwork uh, between um, a lot of people to to come to that uh, basically tagline um, entrepreneurs with empathy because we had uh, basically two balancing uh, side where on the one side we had uh, the trailblazer and uh, the one who is really pushing for things and we said we we need the other side uh, like the the person who is um who is caring who takes others with them uh, like su supporting each other and and stuff like that and uh, that's that's how we came up with that uh, tagline and the good thing about that one is obviously because you kept it in mind that uh, it's even before you started to implement uh, the full like what it means like the 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 full details of it uh, you you basically uh, kind of know what we are talking about and can start working with it and I it can just totally agree I can totally agree because I remember when I'm doing some some searches for you people ask me about the culture and I said yeah basically we're looking for entrepreneurs with empathy and immediately I saw the reaction really positively it clicked and it also fit to the overall journey of the company with this high pace growth and also this big vision to change mobility for good um, and I think all in all you really did a very great job together as a team um, also on the, the branding side of that on how to communicate this because every startup or scale-up says yeah their culture is unique but yeah I never saw something that specific how did you then leverage it internally um, to have this persona I mean, we we first of all introduced it in, in a big all hands uh, meeting and then you you start adding it to all the processes uh, you have in the organization. I was lucky enough to to have a internal communications team and they adjusted everything we did uh, basically to that mm -hmm. persona, to the values, uh, to to the cultural scope. Uh, that we had and whenever we could we basically put it on the table and and started repeating it in the organization and we created I don't know ambassadors and heroes who represented in the organization and represented them and uh, we created lots of uh, initiatives around it and so that's that's the one part of the communication and then uh, what you do which is a longer process you implement it uh, basically into all your processes that you have uh, in the organization so you you still have to define 
what does empathy uh, mean for us as an organization? What does entrepreneurial mean for us as an organization? Uh, what are the required competencies for that? And then you translate it, for example, into interview questions in the interview process. And then you can ask ideally behavioral questions uh, to figure out if the person is capable of um, basically working uh, in that way. Yeah, and that would be an indicator of like from a cultural perspective, would you would you hire that person? And internally in the organization, because it's not only about hiring when you are, especially when you are that uh, big already, internally you ideally create a status quo. Where do you stand uh, on, on those values or uh, these competencies in the organization? And we, we had introduced uh, a PECON, uh, which is a great... Um, employee survey tool and uh, with that we had a lot of uh, data points on on very specific uh, requirements and there you just choose the right data points uh, that tell you uh, about uh, these competencies and then and then you look at uh, the difficult areas basically and uh, think about are there specific groups um, that uh, we we need to look at uh, further and then you basically develop leadership development uh, programs, for example, how to be an empathetic leader. Yeah. And yeah, so you more and more implement it into the organization and you, you, you don't stop communicating because you also have uh, people leaving, other people coming in, they haven't heard of it yet. So you have to communicate it during the onboarding process, but also along the way, you, you never stop. Right. Otherwise, it, at some point it fades away. And I also remember that all the managers who were successful in the organization, they exactly had those traits, maybe some more on the empathetic side and some more on the entrepreneurial side. But there was always a common ground and you could really see that. And also for me in hiring, when setting up um, processes or also calibrating um, panels, I really could say this was super helpful because you could then say, okay, the whole assessment part, but also the selling part for the company is partly done by itself through the model. And then you can really just focus individually on each role. Okay. Wh what are more the functional competencies and maybe what do, to, or what does the panel has to assess in more depth? And this was a game changer for hiring. And I think you just can higher at a certain qualitative level at scale when you have models like this, but not just a question bank for certain hires you want to make um, or for certain roles and competencies. It was really integrated in the organization and people could feel and you could also see that there is this pattern which is exactly around this person. I, I really think that was a great job again <laughs> i'm yeah. a fan of that model yeah thank you i mean it's it's uh it's incredibly important that uh, the whole executive team uh the the, the c-level uh, stands behind it right and they promote it in the organization you could see how it, how it clicks with people like even people who knew that they were not as empathetic uh, they basically started uh, saying yeah i know i have to be better at that and stuff and I mean, that's that's sufficient, right? As soon as you realize uh, where you have to go, that's already uh, fantastic. And then the rest is just, I mean, work, hard, hard work probably, but uh, but it's, uh, yeah, you just go into the right direction. I think that's the important thing. And also the internal communication function. I think that's so underrated. Yeah. Um, how did it help you? And also the I organization. Mean, I mean, was uh, was one of the very most important functions uh, that we that we created, and I'm I'm still very very thankful for that experience. Um, I think what we usually do is we we don't communicate enough, and the thing is that most of our work is around communications. Yeah, the better we communicate, the better we take the organization with us. And in the beginning, it's it's super easy, right? You have a few founders and a few people around them. 
that's also, I mean, then the founders basically have their values, what they believe in, they have it internally and they one-on-one -on -one hire the people or no problem, right? But as soon as you start uh, scaling, <laughs> but as soon as you start scaling, you have to make sure that everything that is inside the founders is transferred to the outside. You basically have to translate it into something that uh, you can basically publish and, uh, and then create the right channels, create uh, the right frequencies, uh, create the right documentation and stuff uh, to make it happen. And um, I mean, what we saw is uh, when we established uh, that team, there was basically a run on them um, because from an overall perspective, it's important. But then uh, we realized, oh yeah, I mean, if they, if they now do the all hands and uh, they look at how we communicate the strategy and how we communicate the entrepreneurs with empathy concept and stuff, how do we then uh, set up our knowledge base? Yeah, that also has to be adjusted. And purely from a wording perspective, um, out of a sudden, everyone wanted to have their documentation uh, checked and, uh, yeah, created in a in a very professional way. Yeah, and it's um, especially from a change perspective. If you want to create a change as a as a large organization, you have to have. I mean, communications is the most important uh, aspect of it, right? To basically make people understand what is going on, create uh, some certainty in uncertain times and uh, yeah, make, make sure uh, people understand where we are going. And uh, a startup or a scale up is in continuous change. Yes, definitely. And now you talked more about the, I would say, the pushing factor of communication. How did you also listen to the organization? We listened a lot, for example, uh, with um, with the tool uh, Picon that we had. I mean, you can, you can use any tool, but we, on a continuous basis, try to make sure that we understand uh, what the organization uh, needs. And we also created several channels uh, where people could, could speak up. For example, in the audience, in every audience meeting, we uh, answered questions uh, of people. And we also make sure that managers understand that they have to create an open atmosphere where people can one-on-one -on -one, uh, ask questions. And that's not sufficient. That's very important. So you, if you listen and then don't act, people are going to be quiet at some point because they understand that anyways, nothing is happening, right? So you have to listen and then you have to act on it and you don't always have to serve it, but then you have to explain it why you don't do it. Right. And that's what we, what we try to do. And it's, it's a tough job, but I think it's the only way you can go. And when did you, or what, what do you think? When did the HR or people function at here needed to get way more strategic because this now sounded more sophisticated than the requirements to an organization from a people team perspective to a, maybe a smaller organization. Yeah. When did you see in terms of the growth stage um, that there has to be a shift from your unit as well? Because in the beginning, I understand setting up the baseline, doing the job, but at some point you need to get more proactive and doing also outstanding additional things like you did. Yeah, I believe, and that's probably a mistake that we keep on doing that. Also, I did um, when you join, especially in early stage organization, you are deep down in, in the basics, right? And then um, you try to recruit people every day until from eight until 11 at night. I don't know. Um, but I believe from the beginning, you have to do conscious strategic work and 
of course, in the beginning, you don't have to have a, a, an advanced team, but you have to set up your values, your vision, purpose, all those statements to grow along that way. And then uh, at certain stages, you basically recap and look at it and uh, figure out, does this still work for us? Or are there any changes? Do we have to adjust somewhere? But doing that consciously, I think that's, I mean, that that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, but usually we very often don't don't take the time to to sit back and yeah to to reset and and adjust and then consciously uh, move forward. And when you just name a maybe organizational size, do you have in mind when you made this shift very? dedicatedly in the beginning you're 20 people or no problem when you grow to 50 you start implementing structures with having uh, certain managers or or leaders um that's that's the next stage and then with 100 people uh, you even not only have direct managers but uh, also indirect management and stuff and uh, latest then you also have to um reorganize uh, again how, how you work and how you transfer information for example in the organization in case you did not subscribe to the show and you like it please subscribe i would really appreciate it especially so when we try to summarize it especially when the companies have a company get gets a layer of middle management that yeah. that is really then mainly influencing what's happening in the company and how, how it's happening i guess exactly which we tend to ignore continuously um, we very often focus on the top management and then there are all these uh, employees, but the biggest burden seems to be on, on this middle management. They get pressure from, uh, from below and from the top and they have an incredibly tough job to do. And, uh, I'm, I'm wondering why we don't put much more effort into supporting them, which is obviously also my, my task in an organization to, to push that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are a few obvious uh, reasons you, you simply, I mean, it comes so fast. Yeah. And then you out of a sudden have middle management and then, uh, you, you don't have the capacity and capability in the organization to, to basically implement programs and the right support uh, for those uh, for this group of, of people but everyone should right away and let's say you're giving now advice to a current or future people leader either a manager or um, people within the HR team what advices would you give them um, when starting a new journey in a growing environment first of all HR and communications are the topics where everyone believes that they are experts uh, even if they are not so trust yourself follow your heart um, you're going to do the right thing and if not uh, you fail get up and, and move on um The people work is not a burden that should only be with the people team. Um, we are the enabling function, we are the experts, but uh, everyone, especially the leadership in an organization is responsible um, to be a multiplicator and uh, make sure um, that we as an organization um, can be successful and have a successful uh, culture. Um, so make sure that everyone takes their responsibility in the organization. And then, I mean, have fun. It's, uh, I have a lot of passion for this job. I'm currently taking a break, but, uh, in general, I have a lot of uh, passion for it. It's it's a very broad field of action. Uh, there's so much to, to discover. I believe it's one of the rising functions 
Uh, with, without people in an organization, organizations don't exist. So it's, uh, it's the most important uh, aspect of it. And uh, yeah, just, just enjoy it and, and grow with it. Cool. And then when you left here, um, what, what is now your next steps or what, what are you planning to do now? I mean, first of all, I moved into uh, family business uh, with very, very different uh, aspects uh, of, of work, like investing and uh, structuring um, the, the family business. But I, um, I cannot really get away from what I've been doing before because I gained so much uh, experience and I still uh, have the passion for it. So I will focus on investing uh, in HR tech and I already started and uh, I will also do uh, some consulting uh, here and there and helping uh, companies um, to grow their people functions or grow their business uh, in a healthy way. And what would be your consulting services for, for what type of companies specifically? I, I can imagine it depends. Uh, because I did almost everything, I can I can look at uh, almost all companies. Uh, I'm very passionate about uh, early stage companies where nothing is set up to basically kick it off in the right way uh, from the beginning. But I can also imagine uh, looking at um, scale ups or companies uh, that are mid size or even certain areas in, in corporates, like how do we, what can corporates learn from startups, uh, for example, right? Uh, I think that's, that's also quite an interesting aspect. And um, especially now that a lot of companies have to change and change fast, um, I think there's a lot uh, that we can uh, transfer between organizations. Das ist das Einzige, also es gibt nicht viel, aber das ist das Einzige, was passieren kann, dass der Hund anfängt zu bellen. Nee, da ist irgendwo draußen ein Auto oder so. Der hört dann wieder auf. Ist alles gut, Bobby.